podcast broadcasting to Harry Potter fans around the world for more than 11 years. Join Terence Pinkston, Bailey Riddle, Luke Hogan, Gretchen Rush, and Alex Lohman as they take the wizarding world by storm. This is Hogwarts Radio. Stay classy, Hogwarts. This is Hogwarts Radio, episode 257 for January 12th, 2020. Hogwarts Radio is the official podcast for the Wizarding News from HPAMA, discussing all things Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and the rest of the Wizarding World. Catch up with previous episodes of the podcast wherever you're listening or at HogwartsRadio.com. Welcome to episode 257 of Hogwarts Radio. I'm Terrence Pinkston. I'm Bailey Riddle. I'm Gretchen Rush. And I'm Alex Bowman. Hogwarts Radio can be found anywhere you get your podcasts online. It doesn't matter where you listen, just be sure to click subscribe and you'll have a new episode as soon as it's released. Follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to get in on the fun with the other listeners and fans of the series. And join the Unfoundables, an exclusive companion to the podcast. Get Unfound today at patreon.com slash unfoundables. Well, it's the year 2020. It feels like the future. So that means this show is entering its third decade of podcasting. And we want to thank all of you for sticking with us. And what a refreshing break we were on. I needed it. It felt like I got time to stretch and, you know, just kind of take a deep breath and all that other stuff. I enjoyed the holidays. I don't know about you, but I drank way too much hot cocoa. (laughs) Among other things. (laughs) (laughs) Shh. (laughs) We're not supposed to talk about that. Hide the fire whiskey. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it was such a such a refreshing break. Um, over the holiday break, myself, I did a lot of self reflecting, and you know, mental health is so important. I'm a huge advocate for really doing whatever you need to do with your own health uh, for your own health. So. Um, that's been a lot of uh, a lot of what I've been up to, and I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast before. But I myself, I've been battling depression and anxiety for almost ten years. So every now and then, I'll take a look at where I'm at in my life, along with the goals that I've set for myself. I'll recalibrate and get back on track. And 2020 seems like a year that, for me personally, will be a lot of positive change and a lot of positive energy. And even though 2020 for Potter fans is forecasted to be slow. I'm really optimistic that the fandom is going to have a great year. I ended 2019. Um, so you may have noticed that MuggleNet has been down for a little bit, which has been like really stressful, a total kind of bummer for us. It's been tough not having it up and having to kind of keep working behind the scenes while it's down. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that really difficult time, I was named staff member of the year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Go Gresher. Congratulations. <laughs> So that was really crazy and really uh, quite a nice thing to have happen to me during the holiday season, which is always kind of crazy and busy and wacky. So, yeah, that was really cool. I wanted to share that with you guys. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, um, Gretchen is the news team manager over at MuggleNet. And she does a fantastic job, I have to say. it's um, I love reading your articles and, and I can't wait until MuggleNet's back up to where we can... 
you know, read some more uh, news stories. I feel kind of kind of lost as far as news goes. <laughs> I don't know where to I go know. for news. <laughs> it's so difficult. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm going to mention in the news article is actually, or the news segment is actually from an article that someone on my team wrote that is in like a Google Doc. So we're still working on the news. We just don't have it posted on the site at the moment. So Bailey, what about you? What have you been up to this past holiday season? Oh my goodness. I I feel like I just live at work anymore. I, I have no room to talk compared to Terrence because the holiday season that you had at work was insane. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I feel like I just, I work and I go home and I sleep and I work and I go home and I sleep. So this was a very exciting thing for me today to get off work and know that I was coming home to be back on Hogwarts Radio because it's been so long and I've missed it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think the holidays and, the, you know, the end of the, gosh, towards the end of the fiscal year and the beginning of the new fiscal year, which is uh, it takes place um, around this time of the year for, for many businesses, um, is is very busy for everybody. Um so yeah, it's just it's just great to take a step back now and just to get on the microphone and start talking. Um, so we're we're happy to do that here now. Alex, you've completely flipped to the other side of the country here. What's what's going on with that? I know I'm like a a coast trader, but I have to say I'm I'm back on the best coast, west coast, best coast. Um, I recently moved to Los Angeles. Um, yeah, um, back to to my old stomping grounds. Um, I'm here for six months. I am working with like one of the premier children's law firms in the country. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be here. Um, but aside from that, over the holidays, uh, on the topic of mental health, um, Gretchen and I got together and recorded um, the first episode of what I hope will be many of Harry Potter mental health talks with our friend Sabrina. Um, I'm really excited. I um, having some audio issues with it again. I've recorded it twice now, um, but I'm hoping I can fix them and and get that up because um, I you know. I definitely think, it, especially around the holidays and the new year, there's a lot of time for reflection. Um, and we talk about some really cool stuff. And I'm hoping that it's a conversation that we can keep going. And that's one of my New Year's resolutions is to kind of keep that conversation alive and well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been pretty much it. Looking forward to hearing that. Really, um, um, like I said at the uh, top of the episode here, mental health is just something that um, is is incredibly important and I can't stress that enough like take care of, of your mental health because gosh you, you don't know how it affects you until it starts affecting you in a negative mm-hmm. light so okay great yeah looking forward to really diving into that well on today's episode we'll be reviewing the past week's top news stories uh, be diving into the mirror of Irised with Queenie Goldstein and then playing Avada Kedavra, Amortentia, and Imperio. Always a favorite on the show. Okay, Gretchen, you're up. What is going on in the news? We have a couple interesting things. First of all, uh, Kurt Childs been breaking some records like usual. The San Francisco show opened later in 2019, and they already grossed over $2 million for the week ending on December 29th. So the show has the distinction of holding the record for highest weekly gross of a play in San Francisco history. That's right, the entire city. So that's pretty cool. Uh, The Broadway production at the Lyric Theater 
is currently still the best-selling play in Broadway history. And as of the end of 2019, the show had grossed a total of, let's see if I can read this number, 163,017,000. I'm already doing it wrong, aren't I? No, no, you got it. <laughs> is that right? Six, six. 626. You're on track. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, got it. Numbers are not my thing, guys. So, Curse Child, like usual, I was looking back at our documents, and I think last episode we talked about how the show was kind of floundering and maybe not doing that well, and yet it looks like towards the end of 2019, they started cranking out all these records. So, you, you can never count Curse Child out, I say. Has it? You think it's reached its saturation point in New York where just people, I mean, they're not going to sell out anymore. It's just, I don't know, I feel like almost almost the same way that with the London show. Like, it doesn't sell out as often as it has in the past. Right. I think that as long as it keeps running, it's going to just stay the best-selling play in Broadway history. I don't see how it could ever, like, it's not going to have diminishing enough returns to stop that. And nothing else is going to get, I can't imagine, quite as high as this. So it seems like as long as they just keep kind of coasting and, you know, it's going the way it's going, they can just stay right at their peak, which is great for them. And speaking of crazy high numbers, J.K. Rowling was named the richest author of the year. She topped the list with an estimated $92 million pre-tax. That's still, that's a lot of money if you think about it. And and she really hasn't put out <laughs> new books i mean when, when did um when did the thor- third corman strike uh book come out was it was it this past year fourth. or fourth oh my god are we already on the fourth <laughs> <laughs> that behind on them <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit um, no that came out in september of 2018 so she released nothing in 2019 and still was the highest paid author <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when she's when she's um, characterized as the highest paid author, and this might be a dumb question, but are we just assessing like her revenue from literary work alone, or is it like all of her collateral income too from like franchising with WB and whatnot? It's got to be everything. Yeah, because I'm like, damn, to not put out anything in 2019, and you're still raking in like, I mean. Yeah. So I was thinking, I was like, has to be everything collateral. I mean, still, that's crazy. Either way, it's still, it still pays <laughs> to be JK Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And in other news that dropped pretty recently, um, this sounds pretty cool. So hopefully maybe one of us will get a chance to check it out or one of our listeners can report back on it. Um, Fantastic Beasts, The Wonder of Nature will be opening in the spring of 2020 at the London Natural History Museum. It's been billed as a spectacular celebration of science. So the museum is going to display invented Harry Potter artifacts next to real biological wonders in partnership with Warner Brothers. In a first for the institution, fake fauna will be placed alongside treasures of the natural world with concocted specimens inspired by J.K. Rowling's Fantastic Beasts franchise put on display. Warner Brothers, the company which adapted the books for the screen, has partnered with the London Museum for a ticketed exhibition pairing fact with fiction and display film props like scientific discoveries. So it sounds kind of... I don't know, cute? Is cute the wrong word for this? It sounds cute. No, no I think it sounds super cute. Yeah. <laughs> like what do you think what do you what do you think we can expect as far as like things that'll be in there? Like cause I'm having a hard time picturing it right now. I mean it sounds really cool, but like I can't imagine like walking through an exhibit and seeing what what am I supposed to be seeing? Like a a creature or a plant or like a niffler. Yeah, yeah. Is there <laughs> 
Is there going to be like a Niffler in the jaws of a woolly mammoth or something? Or um, I believe there's more information on this. Here it is. The oh. BBC is also involved in the project, which features rumpet horns and dragon skulls next to real animal remains. Okay. Okay. So, so we I think they're going with kind of like the beasts. Like if these beasts were real, this is kind of what their anatomy would look like. Okay. I just wonder how extensive it's going to be mm-hmm. because they don't really have a ton to pull off of at least. Well, no. I take that back. If you look at the actual like Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, the actual text that J.K. Rowling has created, there's quite a bit to work with in there. But I was thinking like from the universe itself, like we don't know a ton. Um, But, you know, I wonder how expansive it will be um, just because of like side by side comparisons and whatnot. But it would be super cool. I would love to go see it. It does sound neat. Mm -hmm. And the other thing they mentioned in this article, too, is that they Warner Brothers worked with the BBC on Fantastic Beasts and Natural History, which is a documentary merging the real and imaginary and is narrated by Stephen Fry, which made you find access at the museum. So it sounds like they kind of already worked on a little bit of the project and now they're just making a display maybe to go along with that. Okay. So they're 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 acting like these things have existed in the past before and just kind of intermixing it with, you know, kind of what we've already might have seen like you know with in, in the past like saber tooth tiger alongside the saber tooth tiger here is a right you know, erupant horn and did you know that the erupant and the saber tooth tiger you know used to fight yada yada i can i can imagine you know something like that it does seem really neat and that's really similar to what the um new york public library had the exhibition for a history of magic that i went to and it, that was a really that was a similar thing to it where they had uh, a bit of real history and like a real book on something and then it would be like the mandrakes from the movie and like it would mix the real with the imaginary and that was really fun so i'm imagining this is similar to that where you'll get the real natural history and then more of the imaginary natural history which sounds really cute well very cool looking forward to definitely hearing some reporting on that i i don't think i'll be able to make it out uh, there but um you know a lot of our listeners, or heck, maybe even one of us might make it out. Neat stuff. We shall see. All right, our last bit of news for this episode. Opening in the summer of 2020 is the Warner, Bro- Warner Bros. first ever Harry Potter flagship store in New York City. It's going to house the largest collection of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast products in the world, under one roof with everything from personalized robes and Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans to a brand new range of house wands with a design exclusive to the New York location. Spanning three floors and over 20,000 square feet, the space will provide fans with a number of exciting retail experiences that evoke the magic of the Wizarding World. Good All God. Right. What do we think about the new Warner Brothers store in New York City? Holy crap. 20,000 square feet. That's that's a huge store. It reminds me of like the size of maybe... I'm booking my flight right, right now. Like... It, it reminds me of something similar to like what the M and M store is and the Coca Cola store. You know, if you guys have ever experienced that, uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of interactive uh, things that you can do uh, in those stores and take pictures with like characters and stuff and buy all this merchandise. And I'm really looking forward to this because like not everybody can make it out to the the theme park or not everybody you know, can make it to this studio tour. And this just, it sounds really cool. I wonder if they're going to sell like butterbeer and 
like kind of have some tasty treats and all that good stuff. Uh, I'm excited. That would be so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited because I was just in the city and I'm always there and like never have anything to do and I'm trying to kill time. So I was with my family and I said, oh, let's go to the Cursed Child gift shop because it says that their hours are like 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. And so we go there 5 p.m. or whatever it is and they're not open. So we couldn't even like go see that even though it said it was open. So I'd love to have a three floor Harry Potter store to go and just kill time. So I don't have to go to the Levi's store anymore because they have benches. <laughs> it sounds like, like, I mean, we all know that, that Warner brothers is focused on the, the experience of the person visiting their attraction. So I think this is going to be like an all immersive experience where there's going to be stuff for you to do there. You know, you can maybe even view like a small film uh, much like they do like in the M&M store where it's like a 3D film and stuff like that. Um, I, I can imagine that they have a lot of good things planned for uh, for this. So I'm excited. And next time I'm in the city, yeah, I'm going to have to go and and take a look whenever this opens. Wrong. Like, I'm excited. But do we really need another place where we can spend money on Harry Potter merchandise. Like, <laughs> I thought I exactly. Give my money to them. I love buying merch. But this is just such a cash grab. Uh-huh. Isn't, aren't people done with spending money on Potter? I mean, I think we're kind of the prime examples that the answer is no. But <laughs> we like begrudgingly, not begrudgingly, but... This is the the conundrum I have as well, um, because on the one hand, like it sounds wonderful and just the massive amount of square footage. And I'm thinking about all the things that could possibly go into it. On the other hand, it's like it'll be an immersive, wonderful experience. It will also be like a bankrupting experience. <laughs> like it's just for, you know, for all Harry Potter fans, it's it could become kind of like the new mecca of Harry Potter. You know, Terrence, to your point, like some people can't afford to go to the parks and it is very cost prohibitive. And we talked about that in the past. So this might be kind of the more excessive alternative. But, you know, it's also I just think about it. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to want to go. I'm going to spend a stupid amount of money. And yeah. it's, it, it's just going to happen. Yeah, they're going to spend all their money getting there because New York City, let's face it, it's not the cheapest city in the world to to visit. Um, you know, people are going to go just for the experience, um, and not buy anything. Sure. That's fine. But, you know, overall, I mean, yeah, we, we can, we can say that this is another, uh, another attempt by the global brand development team just to kind of expand the brand out and, and, and the merchandising, um, of the brand and get people to buy and people will buy because they know that it's, you know, Harry Potter sells. Um, and in fact, I can see this. If this store is successful, I can see one opening maybe in Chicago. I can see one opening in L.A. I can see another one opening in, in another part of the country. Um, you know, and they, these these fan experiences, these stores becoming more, uh, just more common in, in, in different cities. And, I mean, that's a good thing for the brand because it makes them money. But it's also a really good thing for Harry Potter fans that really don't want to go to Ross and get like a seven dollar box of birdie bots every flavor beans you know um it, it, it gives them something to do something it's like a destination a vacation destination almost in its own and i love the sound of that but what's disappointing to me is that when they bought this building we heard about it and we were speculating that it would be something maybe like the 
Harry Potter exhibition, like a permanent exhibition in New York City, which would be the coolest thing ever. And like you're saying, create another vacation spot for fans to go to another destination. And you can see Cursed Child while you're there. It's like a win-win. Um, but now hearing that it's just going to be a store is a little disappointing considering there are so many ways to buy merch now. And like anywhere you go digitally or physically, you encounter it. So it's like, did we need a three-floor Harry Potter store, probably not. So I hope they add some of the things that you all are talking about that are like more individual experiences and give you more to do than just like buy things. That is it for our news today, everyone. Okie dokie. Well, let's go ahead and get into the mirror. And it's an old segment that we're dusting off where we discuss what the character would see in the mirror of Irisad and why they would see what they would see. Um, so we're going to kind of get back in 2020. We're getting back into Fantastic Beasts because we left 2019. We left it alone a little bit, kind of let Crimes of Grindelwald simmer there on the back burner. But uh, we're ready to talk about a couple of characters. Um, and today we're going to be discussing Queenie Goldstein and what she would see in the mirror of Irisad. I'm excited because Queenie is, well, she's one of my favorite characters in the Fantastic Beast series. Um, and the journey that she's on right now is just so interesting. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that, you know, she's such a dynamic character. We've gotten to learn a lot more about her, especially in Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, and, and the reasons behind some of the choices that she's made kind of make sense um in 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 a lot of ways does anybody else like queenie or is she one of y'all's favorite characters i love queenie i love queenie so much like even though she made some really questionable choices and crimes of grindelwald i i really enjoy queenie as a character i think the questionable choices that we're all referencing just kind of um rounds her out although uh when i was preparing for tonight's episode i saw some really hot takes on her character arc story online. Um, but I just, I, I love her at least up until the ending of crimes of Grindelwald, um, her purity, her lightness. Um, and I also just every once in a while, you kind of just need this like beam of light. And I think, and fun. And I think that's what she brings. Um, I do. I adore her as a character. So let's talk about Queenie. Um, in, in the kind of person that she is. And the really the way that we're going to tackle this discussion is um, what she would see at different times in her life, but we need to get to know her first. Um, so she's a, a free-spirited, kind-hearted woman. Um, she was very empathetic and skilled in the art of legitimacy, also considered to be incredibly brave. So because she was very empathetic and skilled in the art of legitimacy, it sometimes affected her relationship with others, but deepened the one that she shared with her sister. Um, she was unperturbed by the prejudice of her fellow wizards towards nomadges, as ferociously evidenced by her relationship with Jacob and her empathy towards him. Having been sorted into Pukwudgie, Queenie was incredibly kind towards people she realized were in pain or torment as shown by how she consoled Newt's commander about his relationship with Lita Lestrange, stating that Lita was a taker whilst he needed a giver. However, it was ironically Queenie's love and compassion towards others that introduced her to join Gellert Grindelwald. Uh, it kind of hurts to read that. <laughs> I, you know, it's a little pain in my chest for that. 
um, who managed to persuade her that under his new orders, she and the others would have newfound freedom to love whomever they wish. So moreover, Grindelwald's seer intention to fight against the future Second World War of the Muggles appealed to Queenie's peaceful personality. Uh, hence, Queenie agreed to join Grindelwald's ideology, so much so that she was even willing to stick with Grindelwald after Jacob tearfully refused to join her and sadly accused her new fanaticism as crazy. While certainly heartbroken about losing Jacob, Queenie not only still believed that she could still have a future with Jacob as her husband, but also saw the importance of the free love cause, uh, free love cause, uh, which she could not yet have for herself. And thus she accompanied Grindelwald to Nurmengard. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, what she would see. Whatever we met her in the first Fantastic Beast movie, what would she see in in the mirror? I think Queenie is a person who is really just searching for contentment. I think she tries to bring that to other people. She tries to bring that uh, in the ways she interacts with people. You know, legitimacy is like, it's very invasive. And I think Queenie does it in a way that is almost comforting. So I think for her, she would look in the mirror and see herself and those around her feeling content and feeling happy. I think that's maybe her driving motivation there. Is there anybody in particular that she would see in the mirror? With I think Tina, at least. We don't know what their parents were like. So maybe she would see their parents as well. If if maybe, I don't know if maybe there's backstory I'm missing if they passed away and maybe she would see them content as well. But I think at the very least, Tina. I think kind of to your point about contentment and the way she uses her legilimens, because it is so intrusive and invasive. Um, I think kind of the flip side of that coin is also maybe she would see like a sense of belonging um, because I have to imagine being a legilimen is very isolating. You know, everyone else's business and their thoughts. And I think she probably approaches reading other people's thoughts in such a compassionate and comforting way as to not anger them, and then in turn, not isolate herself. And so I kind of wonder if she ever had experiences that were adverse that made her feel isolated. Maybe I'm just reading way too far into this. But listening to you, Gretchen, I thought about it. And I was like, well, you know, to approach in such a compassionate, affectionate way, even if it's a thought that you don't want, like, when she's trying to get into Makuza to, um, to help a uh, Tina and Newt, um, you know, she, their, their thoughts of like this man essentially, you know, stereotyping her as like a, a, a dumb woman and she uses those thoughts against him, but she kind of does it in such a gentle way. Um, it's just like, I, I wonder if there's something about a belonging that kind of comes from the way she approaches her abilities. Or would it be herself seeing herself just as being as content as she could be without this legitimate gift. I mean, because hmm. that's got to be, you know, that that's going to be trying to know like everybody's thoughts and everybody's, um, you know, seeing, seeing everybody's memories and what they're able to, um, to think, you know, that's, it's got to be hurtful in a lot of ways. And I know that she embraces it very well because, you know, there's a, there's a point in when we first meet her, she tells, uh, she tells Jacob, she goes, Oh, don't worry, honey. Most guys think what, you was thinking the first time they see me and you know, that's, it seems like, yeah, she's embraced that, but there has to be a point where 
she's like, you know what? I, I don't want this gift. Or if we know that it can even be shut off in the mind, maybe it's her being a, I mean, maybe a, a picture of herself just being content without being a witch. Do, I mean, do we ever think that she just wants to see herself and maybe her sister and them just living kind of the normalist life that they can live um, and not being witches. That way they can live a kind of normal life that they want to live. I think for um, people who were raised by witches and wizards though, that that like is normal for them. So I can't, it's hard for me to imagine, especially based on how little we know about her, that she would not want to be a witch because I feel like that would be saying like she didn't want to be British like it just is part of who (laughs) she is Um, but as for her like losing her legitimacy I'd be curious and maybe we'll get more in the next movie I hope so but I'd be curious to know more on how she feels about it because we don't really know if she has strong feelings either way if she feels like she's isolated because of it or if she's fine with it she's she's kind of accepted it it'd be very interesting to see if the next movie or any of them delve more into that relationship because we don't know a lot about that and that's so interesting to me i'm almost thinking like how she's going to use it in the next movie like how like is she going to use it to the benefit of grindelwald um you know is she going to be like kind of this tool that he can just you know tap at this at any time just to get the information that he wants to get or if like he's going to just use her in a very specific way. I don't know. It's kind of, yeah. And I kind of wonder to that point, if we'll, if that might be her breaking away moment because she does approach it in such a, like, I want to say trauma informed. That's so my job, Uh, but a very (laughs) compassionate, very, friendly way and you know to i think initially there is some glamour to what grindelwald stands for and especially her tensions with wanting to marry jacob and kind of this whole system against it um that she may kind of give into it a little bit but i wonder if the moment in which we get our queenie back um will be when she kind of has that moral conundrum about what his objectives are for her gift and what she knows like the purpose of her gift to be so what is it at this point that she's you know she's joined Grindelwald at this point in her life would it have changed what she sees would that have changed versus what you know from the beginning of of the first movie like or would she still see herself with Jacob and maybe a family or is that something that she would see at all I mean does she want to see that or does she want to see a general acceptance by their society. I don't get the feeling that she's really fighting for general acceptance because it seems very personal to her. So I think that if she looks in the mirror, I think she would see herself in Jacob because that's so obviously what she wants at the beginning of Crimes of Grindelwald and what she's trying to get. Um, And so by the end of the movie, you realize, okay, she's only making this drastic choice because of Jacob. It's a very personal decision for her. So I don't think like overall acceptance is her main goal, maybe like down the line, but I think she would just see herself with him. See, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering like what her thought process is because you have Jacob that say, no, no, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to follow you. Don't do this. You don't have to do this. And the reason why I said general acceptance is because, you know, if, if that was what she just wanted was just Jacob, then, you know, she wouldn't have joined, but it seemed like she's joining to kind of, focus on a a bigger picture 
so she can have that life. I think so. I think she's fo- I think she's focusing on Jacob by doing it because he's saying don't join just just keep doing what you were doing. Meaning we're not going to be together, but at least you won't be with him. And she's saying, no, I'm going to go take care of this for us so then I can come back and we can be together. Like, I do think that it's it's not about the general for her. It is about the personal, because if she stayed with Jacob, he would not stay with her. So she has to do something to change things for him personally. Yeah, I actually I agree with that. Um, and I think part of her joining Grindelwald isn't like, I see your characterization, Gretchen, of like, I've got to go take care of this so we can be us. I do also think there's a part of it that comes from a really like wounded kind of primal place of just like hurt. And it's like, this is, this is how I can try and feel okay again, or just sometimes we do rash things when we're really hurt. Um, but Terrence, to your initial question about would what she see in the mirror change from uh, Fantastic Beasts to Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, and that's kind of where I go back to this uh, this depiction of her belonging. Because I do think as much as she obviously loves Jacob and wants to be with Jacob, I do think it is about the personal and not the general. And I do think it's, it's an attachment, a sense of belonging, a sense of you know, being in a partnership or a relationship or, or just having that connection with someone. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned before, when I was prepping for uh, tonight, I saw this article on, I think it was on Bustle, um, but that was essentially like kind of putting down Queenie's character arc. And I disagree with the article in some respects because it, it kind of paints a narrow picture of what feminism and empowered women really are, um, because I think empowered women are many different things. Um, that said, the, you know, one of the things that they pointed out that stuck out to me was kind of just this, this not pining, but I, I mean, maybe a little bit in a magical sense, pining for this relationship, pining for it to be more than what it was or what it could be. Um, and, and in that regard, I do think there is this like tone of belonging and and connection um that to answer your first question i from what i think she would see i don't think the image in the mirror of Aristotle would change i think and maybe how it translates to you know what she what she saw as belonging um in the beginning of fantastic beast might be with her sister with her family with you know her magical kind and not being able to like know people's invasive private thoughts to then in Crimes of Grindelwald, like having this family, having this unit, something that she can call her own. But I think the concept of what is being communicated wouldn't change. Let's talk about later on in life, once everything's settled, but once her and Jacob, because we do know the end game. We do know that her and Jacob do end up together. Um, what is it that she would see? I mean, would she see just her and her family? Would she see... Um, something else that her heart deeply desired because I feel like at that point she would have everything that her heart heart desired. How how do we know she ends up with Jacob? I thought that was confirmed by J.K. Rowling. Um, I might be getting ahead of myself here. Um, gosh, I, it, the only things on the fandom page are just things from the movie. I don't know that we know that for sure. Open mouth, insert foot. Thank you, Terrence. I seriously, I thought that they ended up together because I thought, you know, we had already known. We could go with if that happened. If they ended up together, if Jacob and Queenie ended up together, and if they have this family that, you know, they want, and if 
you know, society is accepting of their romance and of their um, of their marriage. What would she see at that point? I mean, would it just be something as simple as the family together? Based on what we know about her, I think yes. Just because we don't know a lot of like her other ambitions or passions. She doesn't really seem to have any. She doesn't really have like uh, career goals or anything like that. So I think, yeah, I think for her, it, it's like family's, family's it. Family's what she wants. Tina's super important to her. And then when she meets Jacob, he becomes super important to her. So yeah, I think that's it for her. I imagine that she's going to go through a journey that she's going to have to do some pretty terrible things um, in order to kind of break away from Grindelwald. And I wonder if that's going to have any effect of what she sees later on in life. You know, if she can see herself, her heart's desire, you know, would be obviously with Jacob. Um, I, I wonder if she's going to see herself, you know, as kind of like this pure entity to where she's not going to, you know, um, have to live with some of the decisions that she's made in the past. Or maybe she'll finally see herself getting freedom from the decisions that she's had to make in order to end where she ends up. Very true. The only thing I want to add about Queenie, um, and this kind of relates to the Fantastic Beast series as a whole, um, it's rumored, not exactly confirmed, but it's pretty sure that um, Tina and Queenie are Jewish. And this story is going to take us like into World War II. And now that Queenie is on Grindelwald's side as a Jewish person, um, I that could end up being very interesting. I'm kind of not optimistic that the movie will delve into it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the writers just kind of skipped over it. But I think it could be really interesting if they choose to go that way. And I think that could also affect the things that she sees in the mirror and the way she views herself, too. That's uh, that that is very interesting. I didn't I didn't know if we were going to dive into you know the Jewish aspect because it has, I mean yeah it's 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 implied um, that she's Jewish, but uh, but it is going to be interesting how they're going to cha- how they're going to tackle that in the next uh, couple of movies as we approach that era. And then I I I honestly I don't know how I feel about how they're really going to dive into that and start portraying events as they happened. Um, that is that is definitely something that we're gonna have to that I'm anticipating um, and not really looking forward to seeing, but I, I wonder how they're really going to address it, or if it's just gonna be kind of like a slide under the rug thing. They're gonna address it really quick and then just kind of move on and focus on, you know, Newt and Jacob and all that other stuff. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so as we were going through in in researching this for today's show. Um, there were some really off the wall Google searches for Queenie because, like, I mean, we only have two movies worth to know uh, uh, of information to know about Queenie, um, and people are curious. Naturally, they're curious about how Queenie, if she does tie into the seven Harry Potter books, um, how that happens. So there were some really weird and off the wall search results, Bailey. Would you mind reading a couple of those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, some of these are quite strange given what we know about things in the Potter universe. So I'm not sure where people are getting these, but I'm I'm here for a good conspiracy theory. Uh, number one, is Queenie Goldstein Voldemort's mother? <laughs> number two, is Queenie Goldstein related to Voldemort? Number three, does Queenie 
marry Jacob. Well, I think we all hope so, but who knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is Queenie Goldstein Avila. You know, that is that is kind I of wondering because she's, one. yeah. About you guys. Yeah, she's she's described as a bombshell. That's what the 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 physical description of her. She's she's a blonde bombshell, um, and we all know that Vila's are very very pretty. So I wonder if she has a touch of Vila blood. B number five is Queenie related to Luna. It's like what are all blonde people related in the Potterverse? Is she related to Luna? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's it's a little out there. Little out yeah. There. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you might as well lump in the Malfoys and just call it a whole family reunion. <laughs> and the very last one, which I don't know how this comes up when you're searching Queenie, but number six, why did Nagini follow Voldemort? Yeah, that's uh, I, I threw that in there and I was like, what? That has nothing to do with Queenie and, you know, and... and... <laughs> Anything like that. So, hey, you, you know what? You never know. Maybe somebody was doing some research. Maybe we'll find Everything out. Everything circles back to Voldemort. Yeah, right. Right. Um, so it is going to be very interesting to see if, if she does, in fact, tie into uh, any kind of storyline in the seven Harry Potter books, much as any other character um, in the Fantastic Beast series. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that and how the universe just kind of interweaves together well okay if you have any thoughts and any questions about our discussion today feel free to send those to us via social media or an old-fashioned email we'll read that on the show staff at hogwartsradio.com next we're going to play a game avada kedavra amortentia imperio it is the wizarding world's version of screw mary kill alex did have to peace out they did close her office down early um, so she sends all of her love, but, uh, I think we can get through the rest of the show without her just fine. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and give to Bailey, Bailey, you'll give to Gretchen and Gretchen, you'll give to me. Okay. So Bailey, your three, I'm not going to give you creatures. I actually won't give you creatures. I, will I appreciate <laughs> you watch. It's going to be something worse than creatures though. <laughs> I won't give you creatures, but I'll give you creature. No, I'm kidding. Um, haha, <laughs> but I'm shh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so Bailey, your three are Victor Crumb, Cedric Diggory, and Newt Scamander. This is tough. I'm going to Avada Kedavra Crumb because I mean he's kind of useless besides the fact that he can play Quidditch. I mean he's just he's a pretty face. That's all he is. Um, I'm going to Imperio Cedric to i don't know do all of my homework or something i guess now i'm not in school anymore so he can just do all of my work for me <laughs> and i will am mortentia newt scamander fall in love with the scamander Sweet all right all righty are you ready yes ma'am crab goyle and zabini yikes that's a big old yikes <laughs> um Crab and Goyle, Crab is the shorter one, so I'm going to Avada Kedavra Crab, because obviously Goyle is the more attractive one. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome reasoning. I love the deductive reasoning there. That was... Just because he's tall. That's great. <laughs> well, yeah. no, I'm, that's the way I remember them. The taller one's more handsome. So I'm going to uh, maybe 
Uh, gosh, the choices are, are tough. I'm going to Amortentia Goyle, I guess, because he's less useful than Zabini, who I'll Imperio and get to do uh, something for me, like run errands. I don't know. Goyle would just mess it up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Awful stuff. They're all pretty interchangeable. I don't yeah. Know. You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Darren's. Your three are Fantastic Beasts themed. Okay. But they're not beasts. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so your choices are Abernathy, Credence, or Tina. All right. So I am going to Avada Kedavra Abernathy um, because it seems like he was pretty useless anyway. Yeah. Um, I am going to Imperio Tina because she's an Auror and she can do some really awesome magic. Um, getting get me into Makuza and get me like the stuff that I need from the government and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to Amortentia Credence because Credence does need a little bit of love in his life, I think. Yeah. And I could give Credence a little bit of love. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, he won't go all psycho as he does and explode or you know what does that mean that i um does that mean like i am gonna fall in love with a dumbledore <laughs> Ooh, we don't know yet aurelius dumbledore i will love him all right allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> okay and that is how we play about a cadavra amortentia imperio we'd love to play along with you too at home if you Want to play with us, just go ahead and uh, reply to us on our social media feeds, and we will be happy to play along with you guys. Well, I think that is it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, it's going to be, like I said, a busy 2020, an interesting 2020 for Potter fans. Um, and, uh, you know, even though it is going to be quiet on the movie front, we're still not expecting the third Fantastic Beast film for, sadly, a while. <laughs> Um, you know, there's plenty of other things to discuss, and we're going to be here throughout the Roaring Twenties, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We, we really look forward to uh, coming back and, and talking to you guys week after week. So, thank you so much, everybody, for listening in. It's been a lot of fun, as always. I'm Terrence Pinkston. I'm Bailey Riddle, and I'm not Alex Wellman. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time for episode 258. Bye bye. Bloody brilliant. Cards won.